the Askell Leadership Podcast. Welcome to the Askell Primary Podcast, where today I am having a chat with Lillian Taylor-Bell. And just before I hand over to her, please check out the rest of the series. My name is Tiff Harris. I'm Askell Primary Specialist. And this is part of a series where I have a chat with a primary leader. So Lillian, welcome today. Hello, Tiff. Hello, everybody. Lillian, will you start by giving us um, a little bit of an introduction to yourself, your background and your context? Certainly. I'm head teacher of Leyland St. James's Primary School, which is a one-form entry Church of England school. We're known for being high in our inclusivity and serving a range of complex needs children. Our children tend to be gifted to us, given to us by social care, admissions or SEND department. Um, One of the things I think that makes us different is there is an on-site private preschool nursery and wraparound provision, which again has the same high inclusivity. Now it's a lead setting and the the leader has a high profile regionally and has inputted nationally into things like the DfE mental health strategies and the Forgotten Third. And I say this because one of our drivers um, at Leyland St. James's is to raise the profile of and the professionalism of our early years leaders, particularly those in preschool and nursery. Both settings are developmental and believe in promoting behaviours for learning. There's our context. That's brilliant. Thanks very much for that, Lil. So um, the first question that I would like to ask you is, and it's, it's quite a, a, I think, quite a meaty question, really. What do you think are the three biggest issues for primary and early years leaders that they're having to deal with at the moment or at the moment and in the year ahead? Yeah, it is meaty and we could look at a lot of things. I think the most immediate things that we say is, as leaders and early years leaders is um, our children as social learners and what the current climate and uh, the, um, the lockdowns running up to this have, uh, have done to our children, how it's impacted on them as learners. Because particularly if I talk uh, from an early years perspective, our children are social learners and they usually develop empathetic learning and conflict resolution when they're engaged in play with larger social groups outside the home. But the social restrictions of COVID-19 has really robbed our children of these opportunities and the development has been negatively impacted as a result. Our children haven't been able to have creative play with other children, so uh, they've not been able to empathise or regulate their emotions, develop language and communication, and all this social communication has been impacted on. And so one of our biggest issues now, and for our children in September, and other reception year groups coming up, is what do we as leaders school leaders, early years leaders, what are we doing in our settings to counteract this, to enable our children to build their social cognition and make them into uh, effective learners? So that's one of our most immediate issues. 
So I don't know if you want to unpick that tip or do you want me to carry on talking about other no, that, issues? That's, that's great, Lil. Thank you very much for that. Um, I want to just talk about your nursery and preschool leaders in this. I'd like to focus mm-hmm. a little bit on early years. And I'd like you to answer on how, how are nursery and preschool leaders regarded? Yes, this is a great frustration, and I kind of alluded to this in our introduction. It's, it, it, is, um, it, it seems to be going on forever that there is not recognition of quality early years leaders. And until people within schools, people within local authorities, people nationally, in national organisations, until our early years leaders are recognised as professionals, we will not move uh, the profession forward. We won't increasingly recruit people, and this is exceptionally important. Um, it's, it's how our early years practitioners recognise and our nursery and preschool leaders recognise as leaders. Uh, and you can look even at, at the sort of pay that people have there isn't that recognition of this highly important role and this highly skilled role for our children. If we worked and recognised and um, facilitated these early years leaders in their profession, then some of the work we do in primary schools and secondary schools, some of the reactive work with children would not be needed because these earlier professionals are set to look after our children if they are supported well enough. If that makes sense to you, too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, I, I can you can you tell us a little bit about your nursery, and if you want to give a little bit of context about some of the examples that you've just referred to. Right, we we've got a private um, company on site. It's a nursery, it's a preschool, and it's also wrap around. So it wraps around uh, the children from two all the way through to 11. It is, as I say, it's a lead setting and it's run by someone who regards themselves, rightly so, as a leader. We don't believe at St. James's in having small dreams. Uh, the fact that we're primary, the fact that we have a private early years setting does not mean we think of our role as just these four walls of our schools. We believe we need to go out there. We're an early years setting, uh, lead setting, sorry. We're also uh, running our own projects to support the development of uh, reception and year one children. We believe our role is there regionally. Uh, the leader within the earlier setting and myself, we put ourselves out there to do things nationally as well. And I truly believe that people should have that recognition because we have early years leaders who are highly skilled in supporting children with SEND, highly skilled at mental health and well-being issues, highly skilled at safeguarding. And this is this is the setting that we, we work in, and I know there are other settings out there, but they're not being recognised, I think, enough in local authorities or nationally as well. I don't but know if that's a question, Bertha. Yeah, you have you have absolutely, Lil. But just to add to this, that you you are recognised by your community because you're doing a lot of very very good work 
with those children, particularly those children that have needs. So it's 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 that um, I suppose it's that feeling, isn't it, between being recognised by families but not being recognised in the way that you know, professionally that that you've talked about and the frustrations with that. It, it is, and we're not going to um, have huge quality across the board until there is that recognition of leadership because the more these uh, more our early years leaders are recognized as leaders then the better training that will go into settings and uh, inclusivity will rise and more effectiveness with safeguarding and special needs which which is our vent i suppose but it all comes down to recognition and being valued brilliant thanks for that lil um Right, I, I want to move on to maybe a little bit of a slightly more positive question with the word opportunity in it. And this is about opportunities that are offered by the Early Years Framework and mm-hmm. New Development Matters and Birth to Five. And I wondered if you wanted to talk through some of that. As, as is, Do you see that as an opportunity or do you see it as an issue or a challenge moving forward? I, it's it's opportunity for me. It's not perfect, but looking at it and looking at what's in there, I'm I'm I I am very very um, pleased with the movement it offers forward. I think mainly because um, the uh, develop new development matters and the birth to five documents, it's that removal of those age related checklists. And it's giving us as professionals uh, for these very young children to allow children time to immerse themselves in in their learning experiences. It's it's removing that, oh, we must move them on. We must move them on. That's that's not the way we we look at learning, particularly for young children. Uh, The document is full, or the documents are full of allowing us the opportunity to have quality conversation with children and i mean quality conversations with them and it offers us the opportunity to go right i'm going to scaffold up these experiences from the children uh for the children and these these two new non-statutory documents they just allow us as professionals to go i am going to give these children a deeper learning experience so i'm they're not perfect but I'm really excited about these documents. Thank you, Lil. Um, okay, there's a, 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 couple, a couple more questions for you, but I just would like, this is what I ask all of um, the, the, the um, colleagues on these podcasts. And the question that I want to ask you is that why do I do this job question? I just want you to give me a, a short or recent inspirational story that, that might inspire some of our listeners. I won't say that it's not the week to ask why do we do this job because it's been a bit of a week where I'm going questioning myself. The why is quite easy. It's children's development. And this is why I'm so into into early years and pre-early years because it's giving us the opportunity, the privilege to shape lives in a proactive way. And it's this opportunity to enhance and be proactive which which is an absolute fix you know um it stops us being reactive later on so that's the why 
but uh, if you're thinking about um, inspirational stories, I've had permission of, of the mum to tell you about Harvey. Now, for someone who's talking about early years, Harvey was 19 two days ago. He's just finished college, about to start work, and before that, he sat and passed his GCSEs after a fairly successful mainstream high school career. So this is a regular story about a regular child, but Harvey's pathway was tricky because at the age of three, he was diagnosed with autistic spectrum condition and was sent to our preschool setting for assessment. Was he going to be able to go to mainstream primary school was, was the uh, question. I like to draw attention to that because he was sent to us because of the quality early years leadership and the background in SEND. And it was all about professionals liaising with professionals. So that's why that bit's in there. So Harvey came to our early years setting. We had to work very hard with him. But between the earliest setting and the reception class and his family, we supported this highly sensory autistic child to access a very personalised curriculum. But it enabled him to complete his primary school, including SATs and some of those he did pass. And the rest is really history. So that sums up one, an amazing young man who is an amazing young man. And two, sums up the joy of working with professionals at such an early stage in a child's life. Why wouldn't you do that to get such a wonderful benefit? That's a lovely story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Lil, you have been a teacher, primary school teacher, primary school leader for a long time now. Um, and I just want to ask you about your your journey i suppose into into leadership first question do you remember your first day when you first started as a primary school teacher oh gosh it's, it's over 30 years ago and i sometimes i can't remember my own name but um I, I, I do remember, I always wanted to be a, a teacher. I always wanted to be a teacher from when I was in the infants. And weirdly enough, I always wanted to support children who found it tricky. Now, I didn't know what that meant then, but that was, that was the road I was going to go on. But I had a very regular, um, straightforward, uh, college uh, training, went into primary uh, and fell into slash blagged myself into leadership, which is probably a best description of it. But leadership is quite um, addictive. Mm. And so that's what I was, I was never going to be a head teacher for very, very long. I was going to be an advisor. And how long have you been a head teacher? Uh, 15 years. <laughs> yeah, I came in for three years since and ended up, I'm still here at the sort of twilight end of my career. But it's the it's leadership and it's that shaping of lives. Yeah. And because I'm a member of the Association of School and College Leaders as well, the ability to shape lives at a regional and national level, it's, it's, it's phenomenal to be a piece of the jigsaw puzzle that is useful 
why wouldn't you? So we've not talked about that. Just just briefly explain your role on Askell Council and, and some of your achievements on that, if, if, you, if you would. Yeah, again, it was a role that I blagged myself into. Um, but, you know, and I'm still not sure what Askell think, you know, think of me there. But I am currently, I... I, I, I was brought on to represent uh, primary, which has been fantastic. Um, and I'm also chair of the Equalities, Inclusion and Ethics Committee. I was vice chair and then chair. So it's been really useful, one, to input into sort of national debates on social care, mental health and inclusivity, which is my main drivers, and also to be part of a very excellent um, primary team within ASCL to, to, to help join in national debates about things like assessment. Um, and we're very well represented by yourself, Tiff, as our <laughs> primary specialist as well. But, you know, ASCL is not just an organisation for large high schools, for academy. ASCL is there for all people who lead on behalf of children. And I would say it has been one of the biggest benefits I've ever um, had being part of this organisation. And I would say join ASCL <laughs> and see as much as you can of the work that they do. And I'm not even being paid for this. No. Okay, but but um, and I just wanted to reassure you, Lil, that your role on council is is extremely valued. So you know, the the line that you said about not sure the work that you do has has certainly um changed lives for the better, not just from your own context as a as a school leader, but from a wider context. So thank you for all all you're doing. Oh, God um, bless do you think you've changed much as a leader over the years? Um. I, I may have mellowed, I think, but it depends what day you get me on. It's um, it, it's really interesting because I think as a leader, when you start out, you don't necessarily need to know your end point, what you want your organisation to be, but you just need to know your direction. So the direction has never changed, but maybe the opportunities that you are given and the opportunities you make for yourself do change you as a leader. That's, um, that's a good answer, Lil. And um, I, think, I think the fact that you've mellowed, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll just park that one there. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Tiff knows me quite well. I'm mellow. I might be playing fast and loose with the word mellowed there. Yeah. I don't think um, Lil and um, the word soapbox are strangers to each other. So if this is mellow then. <laughs> But um, I know I know you you have um, a lot of strength in your passion for children. So um, so again, if that's mellow, then yeah. Um, and and then the last thing, there'll be some new leaders listening to this who have not started on their leadership journey yet. And I just want you to consider what what they're embarking upon. How. How do you ensure work-life balance? Is it important to you? It is. It is because you do need to give yourself time. You do need to build in time for recovery. Um, this, this past year has not been the best example. 
for those of you just starting out your leadership in the middle of COVID, it's going to be better. You're going to be wandering around in a couple of months' time going, oh, actually, this is really very pleasant. I can really enjoy my, enjoy my job. Take COVID out of the equation. There are always going to be times when you are working yourself senseless. But then you build into downtime when you just totally relax and you, you, you don't, you, you leave it alone. Well, when I say leave it alone, you give yourself time for just mulling things over into your head. I'm very lucky. I didn't marry a teacher. I married someone who says to me, I'm that interested and that sarcasm. So that really, really helps because he has no interest in my career. So I can't carry it forward very much. Make sure you build in time for yourself just to switch off. Being a head teacher is so much easier than being a deputy head teacher. Um, I do remember my teacher days and they were fun. And if you're ever in school and you're feeling got at as a leader, just go back into a class and teach and no one can touch you and it grounds you a bit more. It is the best job in the world though, honestly. Well, on that line, I would like to thank you for your time today, Lillian, and thank you for all you're doing. And I wish you all the very best for the next few weeks um, before the end of term, for the summer and for next year. And if you have enjoyed listening to Lil, take a look at our website, at the other podcasts on there, And I look forward to hosting another podcast very, very soon. The Askell Leadership Podcast.